process. Oh, hello there. My name is Brendan, also known as the Pod Pinhead. Some of you may recognize me from such podcasts as the Falcon Twin Podcast and the Falcon Twin Podcast. You know, a lot of people ask me, Brendan, how exactly do you do those wonderful strips of yours? As a matter of fact, it's a question I get asked more often than any other. I must have been asked at least three, maybe even as many as four times in the last three years. Well, today I'm going to give you an in-depth tour of how exactly I produce the pages of Falcon Twin in excruciating detail more than you could ever possibly want to know. To begin with, I sit down with the script and a notebook in which I've drawn a little box that's about 7 centimeters by 10 centimeters tall. That's where I'm going to do my thumbnail. And I read the script and try to figure out, based on the dialogue and the actions of what people are doing, what exactly is going to be on the page. And so I try to figure out, well, you know, who's going to be speaking in what panel, and how many panels do we need to have this conversation take place. Sometimes I try to speed it up if I'm feeling like getting a lot of stuff out of the way. Sometimes I slow it down if I'm feeling like doing less drawing. So I, I try to figure that out. Mostly I do that in my head. I don't start drawing on the thumbnail until I've got a better idea of how exactly I plan to lay that out. So once I've got an idea of how I'm going to lay it out, I sit down and I draw the thumbnail in this little box. And the thumbnails are not tremendously detailed. All I really try to do is, is get a general idea of the position of the characters, how they look, their facial expressions, that kind of thing. But, you know, in 7 centimeters by 10.5 centimeters, there's only so much detail you can put. And moreover, you know, it's not the final product, so there's not really any particular need to go into a whole lot more detail. So with the thumbnail done, I take out a piece of paper that's 11 by 14. It's just a standard piece of drawing paper that you can get at Aaron Brothers or I get it at the campus bookstore. It's not very expensive. It's like six bucks for 50 pieces of paper. And I do several guidelines. I do two guidelines on the left, two guidelines on the right, and then one on the top and bottom. The one on the top and bottom are six millimeters from the edges. The ones at the left and right are one and a half centimeters and two and a half centimeters from each of the edges respectively and that seems like an extraordinarily unnecessary amount of precision but what that does is that gives me a page that is exactly one by 1.5 units so that it, it's a standard format comic page that's one and a half times as tall as it is wide the outer of those two guides is the sort of dead space and so I just trim that off after I'm done with the page after I'm done drawing it much later on so with those guidelines done and with the thumbnail done I go in and I sit down with my ruler and I come up with the actual panel layout on the page with pencil I always leave three millimeters between the panels on the page and then once I've got everything laid out the way I want it to be I have a look at it make sure that it's right then I go over the panel borders with a Pigma Micron pen, which I actually have here. It's the .05 width pen, and that's all I use it for. I used to use the .05 pens for clothes and things like that, but ultimately I decided that it was just more trouble and it was worth having to switch back and forth between pens as much as I did. And now I'm down to two pens, and I'd really prefer to get to one, but I think that's probably not workable. So I use the .05 Pigma Micron black pen to outline the panel edges and it used to be that I would let that dry for a while and then I'd erase the panel edges but eventually I realized that that was kind of unnecessary considering that I end up erasing all the pencil later on anyway so these days I just leave that. That being done I go to my computer and fire up Photoshop where I load this template that I've built for my strips. The template has a variety of folders which I'll probably talk about 
in a little more detail. It's got not folders per se, but layer sets in Photoshop. The top layer set is for the dialog. The next one below is for dialog bubbles. Beneath that I have the footer. Beneath that I have the color layers, then the effect layers. Then I have the line art, the shading, and the backdrop. And I'll talk about these as I go through them. What I do is I have it set up so that as soon as I load the strip template, it's got the footer selected, which is the first thing I change. I set the strip number. I set the date to be whatever the strip is going to be. Then I go in and, and I put in the dialog. I have the text settings all set up in a preset so I can just pull it down. I have one preset for the text in the dialog. I have one preset for the text that will be effect text of slams and thuds and that kind of thing. So since I've decided how exactly the strip is going to be laid out, who's going to be doing what where, then I go and I just lay out the dialogue on the page. And I try to get it generally about right in terms of what I want the shape to be. Then I go in in the dialogue bubble layer and I use the shape tool to create circles around the dialogue. And I link those layers and then I use the tools in Photoshop that will center the text of the dialogue against the dialogue bubble. And I have a layer style that I apply to the dialogue bubble, which is just a several pixel wide stroke. And what that does is it basically makes it so that I can put as many shapes as I need to on a dialogue bubble layer and the outside of it gets stroked with an outline, which is very convenient. So then once I've got the dialogue bubbles and I've got the dialogue linked, then I go in and I use the pen tool. I hit the equals key, which turns it into add mode. And then I draw the little tails on the dialogue bubbles. I don't do the edges of the panel. Sometimes if a dialog bubble intersects with one of the edges of the panel, then I'll use like a square shape to cut off the edge of the dialog bubble that I need to, to hide instead of having it overlap the panel. I do that later on after I've got the page actually drawn. So I've got the template all made. I've got the strip number in there. I've got the date in there. I've got the dialog bubbles in there. I try to generally arrange them where I think they're going to wind up on the page. Of course, that always changes later on because before I draw the page. I don't know how exactly everything's going to fit. But I do like to put the dialog bubbles in the Photoshop file first, so that way I can have a general idea of how much space they're going to take up so that I can sort of try to have that in the back of my mind while I'm drawing the page itself and leave room if, if there's a particularly long bit of dialog which I need to accommodate. So once I've got the Photoshop file made, I get a paper towel and I just fold that up into a little square that I can keep under my hand while I'm drawing so that I don't accidentally smear any of the pencil or anything like that. And then I sit down and I draw, and I just draw the characters one panel at a time. I generally don't draw very much of the backgrounds at all. Uh, as a matter of fact, I almost never draw backgrounds because I do all that stuff in Photoshop. Some people would argue that's not for the best, but that's how I roll. So I do the characters, and I'm not going to go into detail about how exactly I draw the characters because, well, frankly, I don't feel like it, and it's kind of difficult to describe. So I draw all the characters in pencil. It usually takes about half an hour if I'm just doing kind of bust up. And if it's a full body thing, it usually takes about an hour per character. And so I do that on the page. I generally try to keep it no more than eight characters on a page because obviously that starts to take a fairly long time. Once I've done drawing the characters with pencil, then I usually take a break. And about an hour later, I come back with my pens and I trace over the characters with the pens. And, and for those I use the Pigma Micron dot .03 and dot .01. Dot .01 I use for the skin and for hair, facial features, that kind of stuff, anything that needs a finer line. And dot .03 I use for clothes and things like that that can use a bit of a coarser line. So once I've got everything inked, then I erase all the pencil off the page because of course you know the ink is going to remain. 
and I dust it off. This actually takes a little while because I try not to wrinkle the page or anything like that while I'm erasing, which sometimes is kind of a pain in the ass. So with the page inked, I usually set it down and come back to it the next day. Well, I always set it down and come back to it the next day. And when I come back to it, the first thing I do is I fire up Photoshop, I connect my scanner, and I scan the page in. And because the pages are fairly tall, 14 inches, I have to scan them in two parts because my scanner is just a standard 8.5 by 11. Actually, I think it's legal, so it's a 8.5 by, I don't know, 18 or however long they are. But regardless, I can't scan the entire page at once. So I scan it sideways in two parts, and then I put them back together in Photoshop. What I do is I take the top half and I paste it into the template that I have that I've made the day before. And then I take the other half, I paste that on top of that, and I turn the opacity down to 50% so that I can see where they match up and get them to match exactly right. Then I trim off the part that I don't want from the second piece that I paste it on. I do that by selecting the part where they intersect at about halfway with the rectangular marquee tool. And then I use the lasso tool just to go across that and adjust the selection so that it goes through the parts where the two, the upper half and the lower half, match most precisely so that there won't be any gaps or anything like that or seams that I have to fix later on. Once I've selected that, then I clear that and merge the two layers together. Then once I'm done with that, I clean up the page. What I do is I select the white in the image with the color range tool. And I generally think I use about 150, a fairly wide range. I want to get as much of the paper color and everything in there as I possibly can. I go into the quick mask mode. And when I was at Blue Sky, years and years ago, an artist told me that the quick mask was one of the best tools in Photoshop. And he was totally right. I use it all the time. I go into quick mask mode and I use the levels tool to just flatten out the levels of the selection because if you use the color range selection you're going to get a selection that's very soft and some parts will be 50% selected, some parts will be 75% selected and it just sort of is a gradient. I don't want the gradient selection, I want a very hard edge selection so I go in, I use the levels and I set that to like 129 and 131, the, the closest that you can get in Photoshop. What that does is that makes the edges of the selection very hard and then in the next step I go back out of quick mask mode and I shrink the selection by two pixels. What happens is that when I do go back into quick mask after that, every little speck of dust, every little imperfection, everything that I need to clean up stands out really obviously because I've got this entire flat area of red where everything is selected and anytime there's a little speck of dust or something, it's got a little white dot around it that's really obvious and very easy to see. So I go through and I clean all that stuff up and generally speaking there's usually some pencil stuff left over at the edges of the panels because that didn't get erased right or something. Sometimes there's pencil stuff along the characters although I do that in a bit. And so I go through and I get rid of all the little dots that are in the panels, all the stuff at the edges of the panels. I have my signature and stuff at the bottom of the page even though no one ever sees it. So I make sure that that's all gone. Then I go back and go over the characters and just try to make sure that I've gotten everything cleaned up the way that I want. So if there's still some pencil residue left, I get rid of that. And if there is some stuff that needs to be closed but isn't, if there's stuff that needs not to be closed but is, I go through and I clean all that up. Sometimes if I've got sections that I need to be very sharp and precise, like the edge of a strand of hair or something, I'll clean that up in there. Then I go back out of quick mask mode and fill that entire thing with white. And I do this on a layer above 
the line art so that I don't have to damage that layer until I'm satisfied with it. Once I've done that, I actually kind of repeat the process. I do a select of the color range again, same settings, select all the white. I go back into quick mask, I crank the levels, I come back out and I shrink the selection again, but this time only one pixel so that I can get a little bit more precision. Usually that doesn't take very long to do, and that's just a general sort of last check. Come back out of quick mask again, fill that with white, and then as long as I'm satisfied with everything, I merge that down into the line art layer, mainly just because I don't need all the crappy mistakes and stuff that were on the on the page. And when I'm inking the page, I used to get really concerned about whether or not I was going to make a mistake. These days, if I make a mistake, I just go over it again, have it look the way that I want it to look, and then I put three little dots next to the part that needs to be corrected. And when I'm going through it in the quick mask later on, because the dots are so obvious, then it's impossible to miss, and I always get those corrections, and I get them right. So at that point, I'm done with getting all the line art itself cleaned up. There's one more step before I start shading, and what that is is I go to the line art fader layer, which is basically a layer that's filled with white at 50% opacity, and what that does is that knocks down the hardness of the lines of all the character art. And if you look at some of the earlier pages in Chapter 2 where I was starting to get a hold of this style, you can see that some of the lines aren't done that way, and so that they stick out a lot more than the lines do these days. But I don't want that to be done with the panel edges, so what I do is I select the outside of the panels, I expand that by about 6 pixels, which is enough to cover the panel edges, and then I delete that, which leaves me with the panel edges as dark as they're going to be. I also go in and I make sure that the eyes have the black too, because I want those to stand out. And in Mika's case, she's the only person who has all of her eyebrows done in black with the ink, as opposed to being shaded in Photoshop like all the other characters. So I also make sure that if Mika's in the page, that her eyebrows are not faded either. At that point, I'm done with all the line art, so I go down to the shading layer. I've got two shading layers. I've got one for the characters and one for the backdrop. I've also got underneath that another backdrop layer, which I don't actually paint on. It's just a color fill layer, and it's set to 45% gray, so that I have kind of a middle gray to work from. If everything is white, then your entire shading is going to look too white, and that's another thing that happened earlier on in Chapter 2. When you've got an otherwise white background, if you put even a little bit of black, it's going to look really dark. Same thing if you've got a black background and you're working into the whites, everything's going to seem really bright. So by using a middle gray, I can get a better sense of how bright or how dark something is. So I go into the shading layer, and I select all of the skin for one of the characters. Having selected that, I expand it. I've got a couple of hotkeys set up for this since I do expansions and contractions of selections a whole lot. I expand that, and I go in and I clean it up in the quick mask just to make sure that I've got a, a good fill. And then I go and I fill that with the character's basic skin value. And each of the characters has their own. They're all roughly in the same range, except for Annika and Ennio, who obviously have darker skin tones. Then I go in and I just shade it. Now I use a hard-edged brush with variable opacity based on the pressure to do the shading. And that means I generally have to go over and over and over again to get a sort of smooth look. Sometimes I'll use a soft-edged brush if I just feel like taking the easy way out. And sometimes it works, but it ends up being a little bit too soft. And so I always end up having to go back over it again with the hard-edged brush just to make sure that I've got enough sharpness in there. And so I do that for the skin for each character one by one by one. And I do all of the instances of one character at a time. So if Mika shows up three times on a page, I'll select all of Mika's skin, I'll shade all of it, and then I'll go on to the next character who appears on the page. And I generally do the skin first, and the skin tends to take about an hour 
because shading for the faces is always a little bit more of a pain in the ass than shading for anything else. Once I'm done with that, then I go and I shade all the little sort of intermediate pieces like eyes and mouths, that kind of thing. Then after I'm done with that, I go in and I shade the clothes. And it, the clothes are pretty much the same as the skin. I've got a, a whole bunch of swatches set up with the basic value for the clothes. I select those areas, I clean them up, I fill them in, and then I shade them. And then that also usually takes about an hour. And then as the last step, I do the hair, which also takes a little bit of time, especially because it has to have a sort of specific look for each of the character's hair. That takes maybe 30 minutes to 45 minutes, depending on how much of it is in the scene and who's in the scene, because different people's hair is more difficult than others. Evan's hair, for instance, is very easy, whereas Tresca's and Mika's take a little bit more work. Also at that point, once I've got the characters, the skin, the clothes, the hair, all of the character stuff filled in, I turn on the line art fader, which I normally leave off while I'm shading just because it makes making selections you know, within a space easier. I turn on the line art fader, I turn off the gray backdrop, and I go and I fix all of the areas that didn't get selected and filled in. And there are usually little gaps between areas, so if you've got a little corner, sometimes that entire corner might not have gotten selected and filled. And so I just go in and I use the smudge tool to fix that. So at that point, I'm pretty much done with the characters. I then go onto the backdrop layer, which is beneath the characters, and I select the panels one by one. I just do a square marquee around them, then I use the wand tool to get rid of all the stuff around the panel. I shrink the selection a couple of times. And then I fill that with a basic color that I'm going to work from on the background, and I go from there. And generally speaking, once I've got a, a set of values for a background, I refer back to previous pages so that I can keep those consistent from one to the next instead of trying to remember them or having to make a bunch of swatches for scenes that, you know, I might never do another scene in Tresca's house, so why bother making a whole bunch of swatches for that? So I do the backgrounds with this, the same brush that I use for the characters. I use the hard-edged variable opacity brush for almost everything and I do the backgrounds basically freehand which is why they don't look nearly as clean and precise as the characters but it, generally speaking it is a background so the detail isn't all that necessary there I do the backgrounds again one by one if I have two panels that have a, the same background or an extremely similar background I'll probably cut and paste usually what that involves is me sort of filling in stuff because I've already got the characters drawn and I'm not painting the background behind them because I'm, I'm not looking through their layer. So when I cut and paste that background into another panel, usually there's stuff that I didn't do in the panel before. And so I have to fix that part. And then sometimes maybe if the background isn't big enough, then I have to extend it a little bit to cover the rest of that second panel that I'm pasting it into. So I've got the characters, I've got the background. At that point I do effects and color. I've got an effects layer set that's above the line art set and that's where I put the light bloom which I do on every page if I've got say snow flurries or blood or anything like that that all goes in the effects layer which is beneath the color layers but above the line art and the shading so I go in and I do the light bloom I also do any other special effects that need to be done then I go to the color layer set and I do the colors generally to add color to the pages of Falcon Twin I start by using a color balance layer which lets me push the colors on the page in one direction or another. So I can take all the light areas, I can make them greenish. I can take all the dark areas and make them bluish. More often than not, I end up using some variant of red. Very rarely do I not use red 
in the light areas and sometimes the medium areas because otherwise people tend to look very strange when they've got yellowish green skin and if you look at some of the pages in chapter four you can see that that when they're walking around Mika and Tresca and Evan are walking to near Candela you can see that there's some pages where the colors are just a little bit off and that's what that is so these days I almost always use red as the light or medium color and in cases where I don't like sometimes in the scenes where Mika's outside in the snow and there's not a lot of color from the sunlight I'll fill in the skin with the color although usually I normally don't so I use the color balance layer to establish a general color for the scene then I also have a layer for the color of the characters and I just do those kind of similar to the way that I do the shading on the characters except instead of shading it I just select the area so I select all of Mika's vest and I fill that with the color for Mika's vest and I select all of Mika's shirt and I fill that with the color for Mika's shirt that layer is a color layer so it doesn't actually change the value the brightness of the layers beneath it all it does is change the hue and saturation which is what I want and I do a similar sort of thing for the background but like the background itself it's less precise I just go in and do a general sort of set of colors to match what's in the background if I have blood I usually have a separate layer for that that's special and in a different blend mode sometimes I'll put a different color layer that's just a color fill layer and sort of tints the entire scene one way or the other at that point I'm pretty much done with the page I save it I have another macro that will basically take the entire thing merge it into one image then shrink it down the pages themselves are 700 by 1050 pixels, at least on the website. I work while I'm in black and white, because I do all the shading for the characters in black and white. I do all of that work at 300 dpi, which is 2800 by 4200. And then once I'm going to add the color, at that point I shrink it down to 150 dpi and then I add the color because Photoshop is really not very good at working with color and part of the problem is that even though the color is really just a set of layers on top of a bunch of black and white stuff Photoshop isn't really smart enough to say hey this layer underneath is all black and white let's just store it as a grayscale layer instead when you convert the image to color it converts everything to color which means that if I were to be doing the pages at 300 dpi in color they'd be huge and they're already kind of huge to begin with. I mean, the PSDs for the pages are in the neighborhood of 20 megs apiece, which doesn't seem like that much, but when you multiply it by 350, all of a sudden it seems a whole lot bigger. So at that point, I'm pretty much done with the page. I go to the website, I upload it, people rejoice, hot blonde chicks come to my place and fuck my brains out. If you want to see a sort of visual explanation of the process that I've just described here, go to the Falcon Twin forums on the main page and search for how to waste your life. Put that in quotes and it'll come up with a link to a thread that I made a while back, actually a little bit over a year ago, that has a visual description of all the steps. It's got the thumbnail from the page where Sydney is confronting Mika in the antique shop in near Marah. Then I have an example of one of the panels that I take from the stage of the pencil to the inking to what it looks like after I've cleaned up the inks and then the shading of the skin, the shading of the clothes, the shading of the hair, the background, and then ultimately the color step at the very end. And actually, even though Sydney's face looks kind of funky in that page, otherwise I think it's a fairly decent looking panel. I like the, the color balance there. So, if you have questions or comments, you can email them to me via the link on the homepage, leave me an audio comment via the send me an audio button on the podcast page, or post them in the forums. Some of the music provided tonight was from the Podshow Podsafe Music Network, Check it out at music.podshow.com. So there.
Dear God, that was the worst recording I've ever done.